Father, take our lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, and if you will, uh, pull out your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, as you are headed there, uh, I will say it is an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, I have, a, uh, I have a, uh, a special place in my heart for this church and for all of you who have helped us to get Redeemer started in the Decula area. Um, we, are, we are indebted to you and are thankful for your friendship and prayers. Uh, but now is the time for us to get into the Word. So, 2 Timothy, ch- uh, chapter 4. My understanding is that you have been working through this book for, for a period of time, and that I have the honor of helping to close it out uh, today. And it is, a, it is an amazing and powerful book, as Paul, the, the grizzled and experienced missionary at this point, rests in jail, probably waiting for execution, still not sure how that's all going to shake down for him at this point, and he's writing this beautiful letter to Timothy, who he's passing the torch of ministry to, and he charges it when things like, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He says things like, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So you have, you have Paul, who is at the twilight of his time on earth and in the work of Christ writing a letter to Timothy, who's at the beginning of his life in service of Christ. And you have this this wonderful meeting here in the pages of Scripture, as Paul on one hand is, is charging Timothy for what he's going to do in the future, and then he's also pausing to look back on his own life in ministry. He's he's telling Timothy, I know you're young and you're healthy now, but it's going to surprise you how quick that you're going to be where I am. And Paul tells a little bit about how he sees his life to encourage Timothy to live the same way that he has. And he says this, verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have I've kept the faith, and henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. I want to walk through this phrase by phrase with you, because it's so important. As Paul reflects on his life, he gives us, uh, he gives us a challenge and a charge and how we should see the living of our own lives even now. Not only Timothy, but also for us as well. He brings us into this with this last line where he says, one day there's a crown of righteousness that, that Jesus himself is going to give to me, and not only to me, but to all who loved his appearing. And so, He's speaking to us in this as well. So let's break this down phrase by phrase and see how Paul describes his life. He starts this way. I am already being poured out like a drink offering. What is is a drink offering? What 
What does that mean? That imagery may not be extremely clear to us, but it would have been to the Jewish audience reading this this letter. Drink offering comes from the Old Testament. In the, in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with how things kind of got started in the Old Testament, God's people, the, the, the Israelite people, were given a system of sacrifices and, and purity laws that would, that would set them apart from other nations and dictated their relationship with God. And so part of this was the sacrificial system that, that talked to them about how as an unclean people, as a sinful people, they could come in the presence of a holy God. And so, so God sets apart for them a, a sacrificial system. And he says this in Numbers chapter 28. You can go there if you want to, but I'm going to move through it pretty quick. Numbers chapter 28. He tells them about the daily sacrifices they need to make. And he starts off like this. He tells Moses, he says, tell the people... Uh, say to them, my offering, my food for my offerings, my pleasing arona, you shall, you, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. And he goes through what these offerings are. And the first part of it is, uh, is a lamb. The first sacrifice is a, is a lamb. An unblemished lamb. We'll come back to that in just a minute. An unblemished lamb that is offered for the sins of the people. And then there's a grain offering that is offered uh, as well. And then after the, the lamb is sacrificed and the grain offering is offered, then at the end of that, it says this. The drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, like the grain offering of the morning, and like its drink offering, you shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So what what God is laying out for with Moses here is the order of the sacrificial system, the unblemished lamb, the grain offering, and then the drink offering that is poured out on top of the burning offering that is before them. And now Paul... Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The order of the drink offering is that the drink offering came last. The unblemished lamb has been sacrificed for the sins of the people. And the drink offering is poured out on top. In the book of Hebrews, we see that the Old Testament really is not just about these laws and these rules, but it's about what these laws and these rules point to. The book of Hebrews tells us that, that all of these things that happened in the Old Testament, all of this sacrificial system and all of these, these dietary laws and everything and the feasts and the fasts, they all point to something greater. That they're a shadow of something that is beautiful and will become more clear. And the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 10, talks to us about how these sacrifices, they could not take away the sins of the people. And logically it says... Of course these, these sacrifices can't take away the sins of the people, because if they could, well, wouldn't we have stopped offering them? Because you just sacrifice a lamb, your sins are forgiven, and you're healed forever. You don't ever need to make another sacrifice, right? But Hebrews tells us, no, what these sacrifices were about, they couldn't cleanse us. They couldn't heal us from our sins, but instead they provide for us a daily reminder of our sin. 
a daily reminder of our separation from God, a daily reminder of the holiness of God and our imperfection and, and sin and the gap that that leads to. And that this reminder of sins could not heal that sin. And then Hebrews goes on a little further to say, but Jesus' sacrifice was greater. That the unblemished lamb, the true unblemished lamb of God, came to make a sacrifice that would be sufficient once and for all people. So the gospel that we believe as Christians is that Jesus came and took our sin upon him, paid the penalty for our sin in our place. We call it penal substitutionary atonement. He paid the penalty in our place, substituted himself for us to atone for our sins, was laid in our tomb, and then three days later defeated death, rolled back the stone, came forth, and, and removed the penalty of death from us if we have faith and receive forgiveness from him. That's the gospel that we believe. That's, that's the core of what Christians hold dear, is that the unblemished lamb was sacrificed and has removed our sins. And now Paul says, that true unblemished lamb that was sacrificed, our lives are to be poured out like a drink offering on top of his sacrifice. The sacrifice is done. There is no action that we can commit that, that brings us more deeply into the love of God. Whether, no, it doesn't matter how moral you are, it doesn't matter how well put together you are, if you belong to Jesus, that the person who is, is struggling with addiction and is on the street who also believes in Jesus, God loves you both equally. There's nothing that you can add to the sacrifice of Jesus. There's no way that you can, can earn the affections of God. There's no way that you can heal your own sins. That has been taken care of in the sacrifice of the unblemished lamb. But you are called to participate in that sacrifice. You, you're not just called to say that the sacrifice was done that's great. I'm glad that that's taken care of. Now I can live my life the way that I want to live my life for my own gains and my own goals and just know that Jesus has taken care of that whole death thing. But that rather our life should be seen as being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that Paul sees his life as in response to what Jesus has done for him and for us, that our lives are then poured out for him as an offering of worship and an offering of sacrifice. This, seeing life this way, is a radical departure from the way that most of the world lives. We live, we live in an age of, of arrogance and vanity. We live in an age of, of rampant consumerism that's all about our lives and our rights and our money and our will and our preference and it's me and it's me and it's me and it's inward. It's, it's I, want to, I want my cup filled. We even sit in our churches and say, I want to be fed. I, me, it's, it's what I want. But when Paul describes his life, he's saying, no, don't you see? Your cup has already been filled. 
Because the blood of Jesus has poured out and filled it up with grace and mercy. You have been blessed beyond measure. And so now your life is not trying to gain more and more and more and more. Your life is about pouring out what you have received. That grace, that mercy, that joy, that love, that truth. Your life is about pouring it out in the service of others in worship of Jesus Christ. It is not about receiving and more and me and mine. It is not about that. You have received fully and completely in Jesus Christ. And now our lives are lived, poured out for others. And listen, that change can only take place when we are shattered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it is more than just a concept, or more than just something that we sing about, or more than just something that we recite in the creeds. When you are cut to the heart by the truth that God loved you in the midst of your sin, so much that he would come to be one of us, that he would bear your sins for you, that he would die in your place, that his love and affection for you was so deep that he would pursue you even to the cross that we must be shattered by that truth. We must be broken by that truth. We must be driven to our knees in repentance by that truth and then lifted up in joy as we are regenerated by the Spirit through the grace of Jesus Christ. It must be the core of all that we are. And so that, when, so that a man like Paul who can have lived his life being beaten for Jesus, I mean, this is a man who preached places and it made them angry. And so they threw stones at him, knocked him out, bloodied him, drug him out of the city. People woke up Paul and Paul was like, we got to try that again. And so he walked back in the city to preach again. Right? I mean, this, this is the man who is saying the gospel is sufficient. Jesus is what this is all about. And when we have served Jesus in this way, we can say our lives have been poured out like a drink offering. See, what happens when we don't see ourselves, our lives this way? We think that life is about filling up our cup. We think that life is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We think that life is about, is about what we can get. We even Remember when you're looking for a church? What do we call that? Church shopping. We had someone come to our church one time and said, well, we're, we're here visiting, we're church shopping. And I said, well, ours is not for sale. <laughs> we, we come with a consumer mindset, right? We, we come saying, what can you do for me? We, we do that to God as well. We've turned God into a means to an end. I have a life that I want to live. I have dreams. I have hopes. And so God can help me get there. Guys like Joel Osteen can write books about your best life now and make millions of dollars off of it. But it's heresy. Because it's not about your best life now. It's about your best life with Jesus forever. It's not about filling your cup. Your cup is filled to overflowing. It's about pouring it out. And the, the amazing thing, see, Jesus has a tendency to take what seems to be logical and say, that's actually not how things should work. Flip it upside down and say, this is how things should work. He says things like, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. 
He says, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross and deny yourself. And then he says things like, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Well, Jesus, which is it? Do I have to deny myself and pick up my cross? Or have you come that I may have life abundantly? Because those things seem to be diametrically opposed to one another. And Jesus says, no, don't, don't you see that in losing this life that is temporary, that in losing this life that, uh, that has its that is temporary pleasures, that you find eternal life in me. So that we live a life of denial, we live a life of sacrifice, and that in that, we find what true life really is. Our, our pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness leaves us empty and leaves us anxious and leaves us afraid. And Jesus says that true life is found in service, in giving, in offering yourselves as living sacrifices. C.S. Lewis said it this way in, the, in the, his book, The Weight of Glory. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And this is, this is the wisdom of Paul. Paul is saying, I look back at my life and I see myself being poured out like a drink offering. And he's saying to Timothy, this is how your life should be lived as well. And he's saying to us, this is how your life should be lived as well. He goes on to verse 7. He says, in describing his life, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. These are strong words to describe life. A fight. I mean, a, a fight. This is, again, again this, isn't just, this isn't just some sort of metaphor. This guy's been bloodied over this. Over the gospel. I've fought the fight. I mean, he sees life as there was, there was active combat within it. I've finished the race. There's endurance in that. I've kept the faith. But he describes life in this way as fighting and endurance. And on one hand, we go, oh, that sounds horrible. Like, really? That's the good news of Jesus is this horrible life that we're supposed to live? But can't you hear the joy in Paul when he's saying this? He's not saying this with any regret. He's at the end of his life. He knows he's about to be executed. And he looks back at his life, not with sadness to say, well, I had to give up a lot of stuff. He looks back at his life with joy. I mean, listen to what he says in Philippians, right? This famous, joyful passage from Philippians where he's struggling at one point where he's not sure if he's going to be killed for his faith or, or let off. And he says this, he says, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain, because I get to go be with him. And if, I, if, I'm, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, uh, yet, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So what he's saying is, if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. If I don't die, I stay here. I get to serve you more. And I'm really struggling over which one is better. That's, that's, what he, that's what he says. He goes, he goes I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is by far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. His whole life is lived with, listen, one day I'm going to go be with Jesus, and that's going to be fantastic. Until then, I get to serve you, and I get to teach you about Jesus, and I get to love you, and I get to correct you and rebuke you and encourage you and all those things that he was just telling Timothy to do. I get to live this life now in Jesus with you, and, and I, my life is poured out like a drink offering. Praise Jesus. He's not, he's not looking back like he's lost anything that matters. He's looking back like he's gained everything that matters. And he says this, he finishes this by saying it this way. He says in verse 8, Henceforth henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he looks back at his life and he sees how it has been, he has been poured out in the service of others and in serving Christ and worshiping him. And then he looks forward and he says, the ultimate goal for all of us as Christians is not amassing whatever we can amass here on earth. We look forward and we say, Jesus himself is going to appear before us and lay on our heads a crown of righteousness. One day we're going to look into the eyes of our Savior who's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. One day we are going to appear before the person of the gospel himself, the one who was hung on the cross, the one who was laid in the tomb, the one who has won the victory. We will stand before him and he will say to us, well done. And Paul says, that's what I look forward to. I keep my eyes on that, and when that is my goal, when that is what I long for, then whatever I must do now, I will do. To earn that, to get that, to be bestowed with that crown of righteousness. And remember, he's saying all of these things to Timothy. He's a young man who is just really entering into his ministry, and he's saying, one day you're going to be where I am. May you live in such a way that you can say these things as well. Live now looking forward to that moment of the crown of righteousness. Live now knowing that you're pouring yourself out so, and that in, in dying to yourself and in living for others is where how you truly live. And so here's my challenge for you this morning. Whichever end of this spectrum you are on, do you long for the day that Jesus is going to lay upon your head the crown of righteousness? And whether for you, and whatever your age and station in life, maybe that's sooner than later, Maybe it seems far off. But can you with confidence like Paul here say that that moment is going to happen? Can you look, can you look death in the face with a smile because you know that Christ has defeated it and that on the other side of death is the crown of righteousness that's await, that awaits? Do you have that kind of unshakable confidence in the gospel? And I call you this day, whether you are young or old, that that kind of confidence can be yours. That you may know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you will repent and believe in him, you can live with confidence over what, that death has been defeated and that life has been given to you. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you. If you are at the later end of this spectrum... Are you pouring into the Timothys? 
Are you pouring out yourself? Your life is not to work hard until you can retire and then disconnect. That's a false narrative. You are here to pour into the Timothys, to give them your wisdom, the lessons you've learned the hard way, to be able to pour into them, to be able to look at them as Paul does Timothy. Are you pouring into them? If you, are, if you resonate right now more with Timothy, are you looking for those counselors, for those disciples, for people who can pour into you? Are you living your life according to the way that Paul is calling you? For all of us, where do we need to repent from where we have made God a means to an end? Where are we praying that, that God will make our will be done on earth and in heaven? Where do we need to repent? And let me challenge you, Holy Cross, in this. Let me challenge you in this, to pour yourself out as drink offerings. To exist not for yourselves, for others. To see this church not for you, but for those who are not yet here. To be an example to our diocese, not because of this beautiful building, or because you bear the name of cathedral. But be an example to our diocese because you are shattered by the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are living out that truth humbly and sacrificially pouring yourselves into the next generation of Timothys. May that be what Holy Cross is known for. When these bricks crumble, when these flags fade, may, may the legacy of Holy Cross be a people broken by the gospel who have, who have lit a flame in the next generation who have helped to change the world for Jesus Christ. And like Paul, may we all look back at a life lived with meaning, a race finished, a fight fought, and look forward to that day when we kneel before our Savior and we look into his eyes and we see the smile on his face as he lays a crown of righteousness on our head and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Pray with me. Father, forgive us where we have made your gospel simply a theological concept or simply um, an, an, an emotional boost for us or just something that we sing about but not something that we have truly grasped or, or something that, we, that has become a habit because we like to receive the Eucharist but that we don't come knowing that your body was broken for us and your blood was spilled for us. Forgive us where we have become apathetic. Forgive us where we have fallen asleep and wake us up. Call us to repentance. Let us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, examine our lives to see where you are calling us to be poured out like drink offerings for you. Where are you calling us to serve you sacrificially with our time, our talent, and our treasure? Who are you calling us to pour into and nurture? What mission are you calling us to come alongside, even at the sacrifice of ourselves? Lord, help us to lose what we cannot keep so that we can gain what we could never lose. Lord, let us, let us one day be like Paul, able to look back at our lives in this way, knowing they were lived for you and knowing that they will be lived with you forever. Bless this church, Lord. Move mightily in these people. Do great things through this cathedral. All in Jesus' name. Amen.